Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day and your blessings and provisions. God, thank you for this time. And Lord, I just thank you for our listeners, God. I pray that they would be blessed by this time. Lord, I thank you for our very special guest. I pray your blessing on him and his ministry. And um, Lord, just guide and lead this conversation as you will, Father, in your holy name. Amen. Hello, everyone. This is Lamanda Broyles, the executive director here at the Topeka Rescue Mission. Excited to speak to a special guest this morning on our community, our mission. But before we get to that, I am with my dear, dear friend, Miss Miriam Crable. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful, and I think you're going to be wonderful. I am? Yeah. Why because, is um, first yeah. of all, Barry's not here this morning. Okay, well, you know, that I mean, right we, there brings up my we, safety level. Yes, we miss him, but we know with Barry on these podcasts come what? A test. Test and quizzes and just automatically starting and our day off. Ones. Yes, with feeling so incompetent. Yes, so, always. Um, I, think it's, I think it's his effort to keep us humble. It is, yeah. Let me make them seem really not intelligent. And, and we know he's going to listen to this. <laughs> and so we know he's going to be laughing once he hears this. Um, but we do miss Barry today. He is uh, busy doing stuff on both the, the state and local level this yeah. morning. And so we are praying for him and just so thankful how God continues to use Barry here at the Topeka Rescue Mission, but also our community and our state. Um, so there's no quiz this morning. So we're going to, oh, it's a joyful day. Well, and the other thing I, I was kind of thinking of selfishly is I need you okay, on a lot of levels. And so okay. I thought maybe I just shouldn't have oh, you do a quiz just today. In case I, there would be retribution <laughs> yeah, later. I think we're better friends than enemies. <laughs> so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, but Miriam, talk to us about um, what are some announcements that you have? What are some things that are going on? You know, there's a lot going on at the mission, as always, and in the community of people that are experiencing homelessness. Um, it, it We never lack for different kinds of things to talk about. Uh, but here at TRM, you know, we're very, very thankful that um, we now have a new coordinator uh, for our volunteer yes. and staff engagement services. Um, Susie Pasley joined our team just this week. Yes. And so it, it's wonderful to have her on board. Now, mm-hmm. we still have open positions, whether it's in our shelters, whether it's our uh, somebody for HR, mm-hmm. which we would really, really like to fill that position so yes. you and I wouldn't have to be doing that holding hands uh-huh. and yes. fearful at all times. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, it, it is a blessing to work at TRM. And I just think um, if people have any kind of interest in serving in this kind of ministry, that they come talk to us mm-hmm. because we have all kinds of opportunities. I think the other thing that's been on my heart so much lately has really been watching what's gone on in California with all the flooding. Yes. And I am definitely, my heart is, having lived in California for 20 years, um, it it is obvious to me that there are people that are going to be suffering. Mm-hmm. But the thing that brings that home for me is the fact that there has been so much flooding of those areas where they grow produce. Sure. Crops. With, uh, crops, whether it's vegetables or all those kinds of things and the impact that that's going to have on us locally. Mm-hmm. And so, Talk about that. What do, you, what do you think that Im- we're already seeing an impact? Sure. Um, in regards to food concerns, right. price increases, access. Um, so why do you think it's important, Miriam, that we're watching what's happening now? 
now. Because those situations are going to continue to Mm -hmm. become more extreme, Mm -hmm. right? So people who are already hungry Mm -hmm. or already struggling to know how they're going to have enough food to feed their families Mm -hmm. or themselves, frankly, um, that situation will continue to rise. Mm -hmm. And when it's things like um, produce, fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things, then we know that people also have an impact on their health Mm -hmm. um, from finding foods that are not as healthy, mm-hmm. right? N- not nourishing their bodies in the same kinds of ways. So, um, you know, we are, we are constantly looking at these kinds of situations because we know that will increase the number of people coming to us mm-hmm. for food sure, because they'll need those kinds of supplements. So we're so grateful for our donors who bring us food all the time, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's individuals or families or the um, businesses or the grocery stores that give us food so that we're able to feed the folks mm-hmm. um, that come to us. Um, it's it's just a really critical issue. So I think us keeping an eye on it uh, is just makes sense. And I think that it's wise to, um, Miriam, you bring up great points. You know, we we cannot walk or act or live in fear. Right. Um, and because we know who holds today and tomorrow and the days to come in his hands. Absolutely. Um, but we also know that, um, you know, there's scripture that say you have not because you ask not. Right. And so it is important for us to um, really use uh, wisdom and and thinking through things as wise stewards here yeah. and of leaders of our ministry to be able to see occurrences that are happening both locally and nationally. Sure. Um, but then also, I think that it's important for us to be very authentic and honest with um, donors and listeners right now. We're in a very critical time mm-hmm. in our economy. Yeah. Um, and I want to be very careful as the executive director to not invoke any type of alarm right. or fear or anything that would seem doom and gloom. But are we seeing an increase in community members who are needing to access our food distributions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Are we seeing an increase in people that are saying we are food insecure either because we don't have the funds to go and get it or challenges that are facing it? We're seeing that. Yes. We are also seeing donations not dramatically yet, but we have seen several donors unfortunately have to lessen some yeah. of their support to us. Yeah. And it's it's been hard for them. You know, Miriam, I have been so humbled. I've even received letters mm-hmm. and notes of apologies from donors that say, you know, I've been able to historically give $100. I'm needing to lessen it to 75 People giving me an explanation when when they don't have to, right. they don't uh, owe us. They don't owe us right. that. But people are are impacted their own personal budgets and their pocketbooks because of what their Walmart costs are costing or their Dylan's trips. Um, and so people are are being forced right now to make decisions, and we're seeing that now. Do we still have a healthy budget? Absolutely. Do we still have a lot of contributions coming in and support? Absolutely. And and we know that God is going to continue to provide. But I do feel like as the executive director that it is important for me to throw out to the, the community that we are seeing an increase in people accessing our services and we are seeing a slight decrease yeah. in some of the contributions and not just financially, right? in-kind donations and things like that. And so it's just important that we relay that um, and that we remember um, 
that it is we have to trust the Lord with our own personal finances and needs, but that we also have to trust the Lord is going to provide for TRM. Absolutely. Through the people. And we know he will, right? And he does. He, as a, as almost ridiculous as it sounds, uh-huh. I am still amazed almost daily mm-hmm. by what the Lord brings to us here at TRM mm-hmm. without reason. It's like mm-hmm. all of a sudden things just show up mm-hmm. that, that we then realize that we need. Yes. So we know the Lord will provide. And we, we just know. trust him with it. Absolutely. Um, you know, kind of speaking along those same lines, Miriam, you and I were, well, we've seen each other a lot this morning yeah, already. We have. <laughs> um, and, and it's fine. And it's fine. I love seeing you. Uh-huh, yeah. Every now and then, though, it, it's good to have some independent time. But Miriam and some I have space. been joined at the hips, I feel like, the past several days. Um, but Miriam, just this morning, when we're talking about God providing and God showing yeah. up um, in our connection group, we're we're having some heavy discussion and, and looking at things and examining things as um, the executive leadership here. But then I also get a text message yeah. um, from a staff member that is talking and advocating for our neighbors. Yes. And it almost is simultaneous with kind of what we were talking about in connection groups. So God, God sees it all. He hears it all. And he's right in the midst connecting it. So can you talk a little bit just broadly about when I say we're in these connection groups, yeah. what is that? What's well, happening? So we are very focused on trauma mm-hmm. and the trauma that our guests have experienced, the trauma that many of our staff, if not all of our staff have experienced and how we really um, acknowledge that and how that plays out in different behaviors so that we're not so focused on the behavior that we forget about the person behind the behavior yes, and why they might be reacting in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And part of the discussion this morning was really around how they attached yes. to their caregiver in the first 12 months mm-hmm. of their life, which was so shocking to me, Lamanda, that mm-hmm. we develop our attachment perspectives within the first 12 months of our lives. Mm-hmm. And if those attachments are not positive, then we carry that with us mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. until somebody can earn a different kind of attachment Mm -hmm. level because of how they're being treated, how we reinforce different kinds of things, Mm -hmm. whether that be around safety, whether it be around hunger, whether it be around any number of things. Sure. And it was just so powerful this morning to think about the impact that we can have, Mm -hmm. that we can have on others who have not had positive attachments Mm -hmm. and how we, by pouring into them and addressing what their bottom line need is. Mm -hmm. So if they're hungry and they're hoarding food, which causes problems in our dorms because of pests, Mm -hmm. right? That we not look at this as them being defiant, Mm -hmm. that this is really, let's dig deep and find out why are they doing this? What is their need? Mm-hmm. Because we know we're feeding people all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. We have breakfast, lunch, dinner. We have all these kinds of things and it's on a schedule. Mm-hmm. But yet, because of where they've been, mm-hmm. they it's can't not trust that. Mm-hmm. They can't trust that. Not that they don't trust us. Right. They just can't trust. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do we address that different and not say, well, they're being defiant. So we're going to, there'll be these penalties mm-hmm. or these repercussions or these consequences. How do we go deeper mm-hmm. and say, we understand. And so, you know what, if you're ever hungry, you just come and we will give you a snack. Sure. Or if, and d- it doesn't matter how many times, mm-hmm. you know, if you're hungry mm-hmm. until we can then build that trust back up. And mm-hmm. that's a very simple kind of example. And it's difficult 
right? It's Mm -hmm. difficult for our teams to do this. Mm -hmm. They're trying to keep everyone safe. They're trying to deal with so many different kinds of behaviors, not all of them positive, Mm -hmm. some of them very not positive, Mm -hmm. some of them very frustrating, some that can feel very personal. Mm -hmm. So how do we help both the people that we serve as well as our first line flock, Mm -hmm. which is our staff, um, to have a deep understanding and for us to address their needs as well? Mm Connection is is so powerful. And and I think my heart was so convicted and also encouraged this morning uh, because we realize reestablishing connection Mm -hmm. and attachment is not easy. And so I do feel like I wanted to take just a few seconds to remind people, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now happening in regards to um, the chronically unsheltered and what people are seeing and, and people are. And, and rightfully so, I understand, focused on the aesthetics and the trash and, and all of this. And, and me too. Uh, but I also think that this is a, a crucial time to remind everyone that just like with us, we don't instantly trust people. And many of us have secure attachments, um, but that it takes a long time for us to go, yeah, I think I'm going to let that person in, or I'm going to go ahead and form a, a true reciprocated connection with that. And so I know sometimes it feels like to people in the community right now where you're thinking, what's TRM doing? Is TRM Isn't doing anything job? about this? Isn't this their job? Or or we're looking at the city manager right now, you know, they were our guests last week and we're saying, well, what is he doing? What is Kristen doing? I promise we're all doing it. Yeah. But with something that is so important and something that is so deeply embedded in the brain Mm -hmm. and because we're faith based and we know it's a spiritual thing as well, it takes time and it takes time for our team to continue showing up, continue showing up. There's just not one offs that can fix someone. Right. Just like we can't be fixed, Miriam, with a one off of somebody trying to connect with us. And trauma is real. It's real. Trauma is real and it is lasting in terms of its effect. Yes. And understanding that can help a lot. So speaking of connection, I'm really excited about our guest I today. I know you are. Um, and I have said that. I, I literally, when I sat in your chair and we were talking about guest, I said he might be the coolest <laughs> guest that we're going to have on here. Um, and everybody's like, probably so. Not that our other guests haven't been remarkable. Well, they have, and they've been cool in their own way. Co- Miriam, <laughs> come on. The guest we have today is extremely cool. Um, but I want to start with introducing him real quick um, by a Facebook post. Um, and to me, this summarized what I know to be his heart, um, but then also ties so deeply in why I think connection is important to him and his story, but also what we do at the rescue mission. So on February 16th, um, this guest was uh, gearing up for something pretty important um, in his life. And uh, the quote says, a man is nothing without the people around him, loving him pushing him and reminding him that all honor and all glory go to be to Jesus Christ, our King and savior. He then goes on to say that he's a blessed and rich man because of the people in his life. And he then thanked people and said, thank you for all that you do. Regardless of tomorrow, I always want to make you proud. And so that is an introduction to John, the Iron Man, (laughs) Kentrell, um, that we have this morning. Welcome, John. Thank you. We are um, so excited to have you here. And, you know, I feel like um, I joked earlier and said I kind of stalk you, right, Um, in a very 
Christian way, if that can be right. (laughs) Um, But when I see people in the community that are authentic, um, that are doing something, sometimes I kind of view the work that even Jesus did a little rebellious, right? Because what he was doing wasn't accepted. It wasn't the norm. Against the grain. It was against the grain. And um, so as a compliment, when I see how you speak and what you stand for and how you are so courageous, both in the in, you know, in what you do and what you do personally, I just think to myself, that's someone we need to give a platform here. So um, we welcome you here. We're excited. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do, what you're known for, and then we're going to dive a little bit into how you got to that. Okay. All right, Lamanda. So I am John the Iron Man Cantrell. Uh I am currently a partner and part owner in Topeka Auto Glass. Mm -hmm. It's my nine to five. Yes. I have recently started a 501c3 nonprofit organization mm-hmm. with uh, a couple partners and a couple church friends and my parents, mm-hmm. uh, Topeka Youth Boxing Association. Incredible. So the idea behind this is uh, catch kids that are that are struggling in school or, or are struggling with a place to put their energy mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. after school programs, stuff like that, and give them a platform and a place where they can direct their energy into something positive. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, early on when I started my fighting career, I can remember my kind of my tag sign was glorifying God through martial arts mm. because I started in, I started in mixed martial, mixed martial arts. And, um, I can remember thinking like, this helps me with my mental. So all the fighting stuff, everything is really just a form of, of, of me taking care of my mental health. Sure. Right. So when I'm not exercising and my, my wife is really good at keeping me on this, but <laughs> when I'm not dieting, when I have a poor diet, when I am not getting the right amount of exercise, when I'm not getting the right amount of sleep, mm-hmm. all of these things really affect my mental health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and somebody mm-hmm. that has, that struggles with, you know, bipolar, manic depressive, you know, attention deficit disorder, all these other yeah. things, you know, I, I, I need something there to help structure mm-hmm. my life. And when I'm, when I'm fighting and when I'm training for fights, like mm-hmm. I have a very disciplined, very structured life. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to be able to offer kids, you know, that, that struggle with some of the same stuff that I struggle with mm-hmm. kind of a different path, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, and I, I'm not saying like medication is great. Sure. Um, there are certain medications because of my, my past and my, my addictive personality that I, I won't take. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I've, I've learned new ways to, to take care of myself without using certain medications. Mm-hmm. So he's talked for a minute and a half. And now I think all the listeners can hear why I say he's probably the coolest guest. <laughs> um, I mean, you can hear the heart, the passion, the vulnerability, all of that. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, um, you kind of talked about your passion of helping kids that were struggling. Did you struggle as a kid? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Talk about that if you don't mind. So I was, I struggled with identity mm. from an early age and I was always a people pleaser and I've always, you know, I've always been a character. You know, my, my, my Papa A would, he was, John, you're a character <laughs> and, I, and he was a character too. Uh-huh. You know, he's, you know, early 1900s world war ii vet and i was i was the first boy on my mom's side of the family in 72 years so i was spoiled rotten Uh (laughs) but i uh you know i immediately knew like i i loved people and and that's where i i gained my sense of identity was from making other people happy and Mm -hmm. and you know putting a smile on somebody's face Mm. um but i'd always kind of been a chameleon you know i changed my colors based on 
the settings I was, the settings I was mm-hmm. in, the settings I was around. And when you change yourself all the time, like you don't build that sense of identity, like this is who I am. Mm. And, uh, a lot of people have, have heard my story and how I came to God. And, you know, it took me a long time, you know, it was, I wasn't, I wasn't a, a real believer. I wasn't saved until I was 23 years old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have that. I like, once I had my identity in Christ and Christ was my cornerstone, like that changed everything. Mm-hmm. Because then if I'm having a bad day, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't need to change my colors or be somebody else or try to be somebody I'm not. You know, I, I've always got that same cornerstone in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know who I want to be because I know who he was. Mm-hmm. Right. And I want to be like him. Mm-hmm. So a- anytime I'm, I'm having an identity crisis or, 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 you know, mental health problems or anything else, like I've always got a place to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got that backdrop to lean on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So with you saying that you kind of struggled with this identity crisis and people pleasing and those kinds of things, is that what led you to struggling with addiction? Um, or were there other components to it as well? So I would, I would say that my, my medications as a young as a youngster, you know, middle, middle school and, and high school, um, I started abusing my medications really mm-hmm. early on sure. amphetamines really early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found out that, and like, I've always been an extremely gifted liar. Mm-hmm. Like, I can, I can, mm-hmm. I can tell you, I can make you buy into anything I say, or, you know, I can, I can really take people on a ride if I want something like, mm-hmm. how do you know an addict's lying? <laughs> their mouths are open. (laughs) Right. So I was, I was able to, to basically talk, talk to my, you know, I'd, I'd tell my parents this and I'd tell the doctors that Mm -hmm. I'd be able to get whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was, Mm -hmm. I was gifted at athletics at an early age. You know, I've always been really athletic and that's kind of where I, that's kind of where a lot of my identity was. Well, um, I got hurt playing football and it kind of ruined that identity because I thought, okay, well, my athletic career is over, so I'm going to focus on scholastics and college mm. and and that. Yeah. Well, I'd started drinking early on and, you know, dabbling in drugs. Well, because, you know, I got my own prescribed to me, so this isn't that much different, right? <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I use drugs to self-medicate, you know, when I, when I, 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 I never had the right balance, you know, and I never had the right diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think everybody really tried to help, but I, I, I couldn't explain what was wrong with me mm-hmm. and normal people don't understand. Right. 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 So I started self-medicating mm-hmm. and this puts me into a place where I feel okay. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, after three or four beers, I'm great in a social situation, mm-hmm. you know, after, after this or that or, or whatever, I can, I can accomplish what I want to accomplish. Can you dive into that a little bit? I, I feel like we hear that a lot, right? Like self-medicating or taking the pain away. But I feel like you are so articulate. Can you talk to us about what you felt like before and then what you felt like after you self-medicated? So before those three beers, what was, what was life like? What was, you know, facing challenges or whatever. And then once you, you had that pill or you had those drinks, then what was it like? All right. So we, we all have this hole, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're born with this hole in us. Mm-hmm. All right. And at first it's our, it's our mom, mm-hmm. right? Mom fills that hole. Mm-hmm. When we, when we hold our hands up, we want mom to pick us up mm-hmm. when we're sick, when we're tired, when we've, when we're uncomfortable, when we're anything else, it's mom. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're talking about, um, relationships, right. And connections. Right. Well, as you grow up, that, that connection 
dissipates, right? And it's, you know, you still have it. You know, I'm all, I'll always be a big mama's boy. I love my mom. I got the, I, I was raised by super mom. Um, and, and see, I'm a, I'm a real oddity. I had the best parents in the world. You know, they supported me through everything. You know, they always gave 120% to make sure that I had what I needed and that I was taken care of and that I was happy and everything else. Not only that I was happy, but that I was tough too. I mean, I am my father's son and my dad was a tough SOB. And, right. You know, That's what it was. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I, I really had a good upbringing, but it, it seemed like I was always trying to fill that hole. And if it wasn't full, I was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, I could immediately put a substance in that hole and feel okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because we, we do, you know, we have, we have our, our, um, Everything that separates us from God, right? Mm-hmm. right? Because really, that's what fills the hole. And it, it took me a long time to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I tried putting all kinds of all kind all kinds of different things inside of there to make it to make myself feel full, mm-hmm. right? And and nothing did it. Mm-hmm. But after a few beers, you know, after this or that or mm-hmm. some some form of substance, you know, right. n- pick your poison. Uh, that would that would make me feel comfortable, mm-hmm. right? That would that would fill that hole for a time being. Mm-hmm. But inevitably. You wake up mm-hmm. and you try to do the same thing again and it doesn't have the same effect, mm. now, especially when it comes into the drugs, you know, the amphetamines and the opiates and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like it, it takes more every time. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. then you're trying to just build up to feel normal, mm-hmm. you know, and you get into that daily thing where, you know, at first, you know, I'm a weekend warrior, I'm having a good time. And, you know, in social situations, you know, I can it's okay to drink. You know, I've learned because my parents were always responsible drinkers. Mm-hmm. You know, they drank in social situations on occasion. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do the same thing, except for I have such an addictive personality uh, on both sides of my family hereditarily, you know, and then to add the mental health stuff on top of that, mm-hmm. like I was a, I was a ticking time bomb. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I go into this and I, I start out as a weekend warrior and everything's okay. And then, it gets progressively worse and mm. worse and worse. And then I need it more than I need to go to work, yeah. mm. you know, and, or, or I'm using it while I'm at work. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Bad. Um, and then it eventually, I mean, it kind of just takes over your life completely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and you get to where you'll start putting your, your immediate needs as a human being, food, water, mm-hmm. clothing, housing, uh, I mean, basic necessities mm-hmm. are tertiary to this. Mm-hmm. You know, they they start they become a secondary need mm-hmm. to this one need, mm-hmm. and it's a living hell. Yeah. Did you recognize that as it was happening? No. It starts slow. Mm-hmm. It starts slow. Now, I can't tell you that I didn't. I was not completely unaware because, like I said, you know, I, I alcoholism and drug addiction runs on both sides of my family. Um, so I, I knew the outcome. Like mm-hmm. I knew what out al- the problem was, is that I wasn't your everyday alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. I could drink and do really, really well. You know, mm-hmm. one out of a hundred times I was going to really mess up. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But the other 99 times I was great, mm-hmm. you know, but the problem was, it's especially with alcohol and, and anybody out there struggling with alcohol, I, I urge you to listen to this. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is like the, it's like the free ticket drug, right? Mm-hmm. Because once you've had enough to drink and then you do something really against your character or really against your morals or, or, you know, that really could hurt somebody else, like alcohol kind of gives you the free ticket. It's like, oh, well, I was drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I, I cheated on my wife. I was drunk or, mm-hmm. you know, I hit one of my, I, you know, I did something like this or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I made a really poor, I stole mm-hmm. from somebody or I, I, mine personally was if I wanted to get high, I would drink mm-hmm. because drinking would lower my judgment enough to where. 
I'd go then back you'd to do it. the other. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. So I, I found out that, that all of it was too much for me. Uh-huh. It was all bigger than me. Uh-huh. Yeah. So while you are, I'm going to say kind of spinning, right? You, you talked a little bit about, um, this transition. It, it started out and you're, you're dabbling in these things. And then the next thing, you know, it's flipped where your life is more dependent on these than those, those basic needs. Right. Um, so in, while this is happening, how were your relationships with people? So I, I was, I wanted to completely cut myself off from the people that I loved mm-hmm. because like, I saw how like my relationships with my friends and let's just say the, that world, mm-hmm. you know, that were, that were doing, that were involved in the same stuff that I was involved with. Mm-hmm. My relationships in that world were insane. Mm-hmm. I never knew, you know, who was going to be, who, you know, mm-hmm. who, who was going to fall out, who was going to come back, you know, who was going to help, who was going to hurt, you know, what was going to happen. Um, but I knew that I didn't want my family or anybody that I like, any of my friends from high school or any of my, mm-hmm. my people that knew you, right. People really that knew who knew I you. was before I was that, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like I knew I was sick, mm-hmm. right. I knew I was sick yeah. and I didn't want anybody to see that. Mm-hmm. So I hid, I hid from everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it can, I mean, you can't hide from your mom. Uh-huh. My mom found me in at a garage sale in Lawrence, Kansas, after she'd called the Osage County Sheriff's department and told him that I was, <laughs> probably cooking meth and uh-huh. that she hadn't seen me for three weeks and she thought I was dead on the side of the road. You can't escape your mom. No. I mean, this lady found me, uh-huh. yeah. Yes, found me in the middle of nowhere. Oh, to yeah. find you Correct. and find you. Right. Uh-huh. right. Um, so in regards to those relationships, you know, when you said that you, you wanted to hide, it also reminds me of just the first sins, you know, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid. They, they hid. covered. They, they and, um, right. you know, I, I think of that. And, and isolate, you know, cause then it's like, oh, we know what we just did. Right. right. Um, and I just think that it's really important for us to realize that, um, even if you're currently in a lifestyle where you addiction isn't part of your story or you feel like, okay, well, I haven't done these things. There have always been times of all of us because we're all sinners oh, yeah. where we've hidden, where we've done stuff that we're not proud of. Um, and and I just hope that we're always reminded of that to keep us grounded, to then help us relate to people. Because sometimes when we forget about our own struggle and we're so focused on what everybody else is struggling with, um, that can then move us to a place of judgment right. and, and being judgmental. And so um, your mom sounds like she was the perfect balance of being righteous and holding that, that justice, uh, but then also finding you and loving you. Absolutely. And, and, you know, my sisters were the same, you know, they, and my friends, like my, my real friends, like the people that knew who I was, who I really was and knew what, knew who I was in my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they never let me go, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they, they always reached, they would always try to reach out and, and try to bring me back. But uh, why do you think they never let you go? God. Mm-hmm. I have no explanation. Mm-hmm. I was, I was killing my, I was, I was literally killing my parents. Mm-hmm. Like they were dying. I, mm-hmm. you know, I had, you know, I'd graduated from college and I had all these great, you know, I had so much potential and I'm just throwing it throwing away. It away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just throwing it away. And they had, they had such high hopes for me and they're, they're watching their, they're, you know, and like I said, I was the first boy in the family 72 in 72 years. years. Uh-huh. Like I'm a, yeah. you know, and, and I was, 
you know, even with my, my mental health stuff and my, my LD, my learning disability stuff, like I still did really well in school, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm, I've always been a go getter, like whatever direction I'm headed in, like I'm 120 miles an hour, mm-hmm. whether that's good or bad. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've done it in both ways. So mm-hmm. I, I know, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it just, it would ruin my relationships. You know, mm-hmm. Do you think that being the only boy in 72 years was also an added pressure on you? You know, I don't know. Not really. No? No. I liked it. You liked it? <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I liked mm-hmm. that I was special. <laughs> That's you know, a good thing. Huh? I, I can't remember. I was talking to somebody the other day. Where were we? We were at church and we had Thanksgiving Sunday, which is uh-huh. where, you know, our church does that every Thanksgiving where that we invite our members to come up and just talk about being grateful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really just wanted my wife to talk and my wife didn't really want to talk, but mm-hmm. I made her go up there with me under the presumption that I was going to say something and then I handed her the mic. Uh-huh. But right before I did, um, I was talking like when I was a little kid, I always felt like I had this greatness inside of me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was going to do something great. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I look for it and every, every time I'd really get behind something, like it would end. Like at first it was basketball and then, you know, and then it was football and then I got hurt and then it was, you know, I'm going to, I was going to go into teaching and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this was before I knew God and, and, you know, uh, Emporia is a great teacher's college. And I thought, man, I'm going to be a high school history teacher and I'm going to teach these kids that, you know, the real history and that Christians just use, you know, the Bible as a crutch mm-hmm. and they just use their faith as a crutch because yeah. they can't take care of things themselves and mm-hmm. do what they need to do. And uh, everything I did just would end mm-hmm. in flames. But like, I knew I had this in me, right? I knew I had yeah. this greatness. And it wasn't, and you know what? I didn't realize it until so much later, but it, it wasn't my greatness inside of me. Mm-hmm. It was God. Mm-hmm. That's God living in me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And once you realize that, all of a sudden that hole, that, that huge hole you have that you try to throw, you know, your money, money or, mm-hmm. or sex or drugs yes, or alcohol stuff. or anything, mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. all that stuff that doesn't mean anything, all that stuff that's going to burn away with the chafe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, once, once you have God there, mm-hmm. that, that, that hole will always remain mm-hmm. unsa- unsatiated, exactly. unsatisfied. Exactly. So while you were feeling that that hole and trying to make things make sense um, before you understood the greatness, while you were doing these things, were you ever experiencing homelessness? Like, were you ever couch surfing or oh, on the yeah. street? Okay. Can you talk a little bit about that? So, and man, and talk about really just, we, our identities are so tied in with our home, right? When you talk about home, like, and you talk to like when people are in their worst places, they just, man, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. just want to mm-hmm. go home. And when you don't have that to go to, so I never, like, I never had to be, I could have picked up the phone at any time and no matter how big a debt I had, no matter how much trouble I was in, I could call home mm-hmm. and mom and dad are going to show up. Mm-hmm. My dad never let me spend a night. Like, like I was never staying in jail. Dad was going to come get me. Mm-hmm. If he could get me out, he was going to get me out. Mm-hmm. No, no matter what I did or anything else, like dad was always going to come get me. But I got to the point where I was like, I don't want him to see me like this. Mm-hmm. So I would rather, I would rather go without shame. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It was my shame that kept me away. It's our shame that keeps us sick. It's right. our secrets that keep us sick. Right. 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 And I didn't want to have to tell them about everything I was going through. I, I was already breaking their hearts with with what I was doing. I didn't need them to see the gory details. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would, I would bounce from person to person, from friend to friend, you know. And and you know, you you never have that, you never have that place, right? Mm-hmm. You never have a place where you're safe, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Because wherever I'm at, you know, whatever money I have on me or drugs I have on me or anything else, like 
as soon as I fall asleep, it's up mm-hmm. for grabs. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's gone. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Whatever I have, mm-hmm. it's up for grabs. And, you, you know, it's just, it's kind of part of that life that you're in. And, mm-hmm. and not having that identity just drives you further into the shame, mm-hmm. further into the hole. Mm-hmm. It's miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of your story is addiction. Part of your, your story is, is substance abuse. Part of your story is hiding. So, Amanda, real quick. I never had a problem with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. My problem was always me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, no matter how far I would go to try to Absolutely. get away from my problems, uh-huh. I was always there. <laughs> there was no way around you. No, no. But yeah. drugs and like I said, drugs and alcohol were the solution to my problem. Yeah. I had a drawn problem. Yes, absolutely. Drugs and alcohol were the solution. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I found the real solution mm-hmm. that that changed. So talk to us about that. You know, those things are part of your story, but that is not how your story is ending. Oh, no. So talk about this moment where you you realize or or maybe it was a journey for you to realize the greatness of God that was in you and what you are doing now to just really be an authentic representation of not what we once were, but what we can become through him. Oh, wow. And and it's it's all going to go back to connections. Mm -hmm. So God puts the people that he wants in our lives in our lives. And if we're actively looking for him and everything we do, mm-hmm. we start seeing him everywhere. Mm-hmm. But you have to look. Yeah. You have to look. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's easy to get caught up in the world and 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 bouncing from place to place and person to person and and trying to do things on our own, but when you're actively seeking God, he starts to appear everywhere. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's there's a lot of daily maintenance that goes along with that. So uh, you know, I've got to, I know for me personally, I have to stay in the word every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to pray and I've got to be on my knees. I have to do it on my knees. Mm-hmm. And that's a humbling thing. Literally. It's like, right. Mm-hmm. You get up out of bed and get on your knees and pray to your God mm-hmm. that has saved you through every foxhole and every battlefield and every trench, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's what he's done for me mm-hmm. every time. How did you get to that point where you go from couch surfing to realizing that to be the best man that God needs John to be, that you have to start your day off on your knees. What happened? So I, I I attempted suicide um, after I was indicted for distribution of methamphetamine. And how long ago was this? This was 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I let go of the steering wheel of my car, Mm. uh, going about over over 100 miles an hour and uh car went end over end everything went out the window except for me absolutely no excuse for me not dying mm-hmm. like i absolutely should have died mm-hmm. and um i'm i'm walking i'm walking down the down the road on 268 highway back toward my parents house on Pomona Lake and um i'm just like there's no way there's no way i should have made it out of that mm-hmm. and uh you know, I'd been introduced to God through Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. Like that was my first introduction. And that was when I agreed like, okay, there's something out there bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I got, I got sober in AA. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I'd relapsed clearly after, uh, <laughs> after I found out that I was going to go do some prison time. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I get home and like, my parents are just distraught and like, they, you know, they finally thought I was sober. Like they finally thought that I like closed that chapter and I'm high and I'm drunk and I just wrecked my car mm. and 
you know, I'm, 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 fa- I'm facing this impending prison sentence and they're just like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we supposed to do? Where did we, you know, they blame themselves. Of course mm-hmm. they did. They blame mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, that night, you know, I, I've talked about it several times, but I gave my life to Christ that night. I, uh, I reached out to the universe, you know, I'm sobbing and I hated who I was and mm-hmm. I hated who I'd become. And I knew that like, no matter what, there was no, like, I could never be forgiven for the sins that I committed. I could never be redeemed. I was going to be in chains the rest of my life. You know, like I was never going to be forgiven. And, uh, that's, you know, I think it's at our lowest places that, that where Christ can get to us though. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, you know, I'm so grateful that I walked that path and that everything happened the way it did, because if it wouldn't, you know, I would have never found him. Mm-hmm. I would have. I would have never been in a place where I would have been like, you know what? Maybe this is the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, so much. I, I really enjoy ministering to um, the urban environment, like because that's where I fit in. You know, that's where I came from. Like that's I've walked that. I've lived that. Mm-hmm. But I really struggle ministering to the rich when really the rich are the ones who need the ministry the most. Because yeah. mm-hmm. when you have everything, what do you need God for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just can't see how furiously he's pursuing you. Right. Right. Well, and I, I looked at how I looked at how I was raised with morals and integrity and hard work is what gets you places. And, and, yeah. you know, weakness is for, for this or that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I honestly believe that, that homeless people were there because they were lazy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it, it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with their situations or their upbringing or horrific things that had happened in their life or anything, right. you know, mental health issues, anything else. But, until you experience that and go through it, mm-hmm. you know, your, your heart's so cold to it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, had, God had finally gotten me into a place where he was my only answer. Mm-hmm. And thank God for that. Mm-hmm. Cause everything changed then. Right. Everything changed. I'm at Stormont Vale West. The only thing I took with me was a change of clothes and a Bible. And I spent three days there, uh, after my accident mm-hmm. and, um, like I wanted to live because mm-hmm. God had a plan for me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm not living life for John anymore. I'm living life for God. Mm-hmm. And I have a purpose mm-hmm. that, that is, that is the moment everything changed. Mm-hmm. It was that night when I got home and I gave my life to Christ and I knew everything was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So I turned myself in. I, you know, I, I talked to my parents and I'm like, listen, I'm not doing any good out here. I'm going to start doing my time now. I don't need to be out on pretrial release because I'm just going to keep getting high and making mistakes and hurting mm-hmm. the people around me. I'm going to start doing my time. Mm-hmm. And uh, God had gotten a hold of me. I went in and started doing my time. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he just slowly changed me from the inside yeah. out. If someone is listening right now and they are still in what was your previous story, they they are in um, filling the hole. They are feeling like there's not a purpose. Um, suicides on their mind. Uh, really just no reason or understanding of being able to escape, what would you want them to hear you say? Oh, wow. There are a hundred million reasons that that is the wrong outlook. Mm -hmm. You are loved. You are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Mm -hmm. And God loves you and has a purpose for you and has a plan for you. And there are so many outlets to help you find that and live it. And you can call me at 785-219-1326. That is my personal cell phone number. And I will give you the, the Iron Man version of why you have a million reasons to live. Well, and that being said, 
Um, you know, I am just reminded of so many things that you said. I took so many notes and um, we'll be going back and re-listening to this because there are so many nuggets that God just spoke through you, John. Uh, but I just can't help but overlook the fact that you said when we're all in our worst place, we're just all ready to go home. Um, and so many people don't don't have that or maybe they do have that and they can't recognize that it's their safe place because of all of the factors that are built up on them. But if you are listening right now and you just don't feel at home or you are struggling with whatever the case may be and you're looking at others thinking, I am just not normal. Everybody else has it together. Please know um, that there is not one person on this earth that has not had some type of struggle uh, that has not had to go into hiding that didn't suffer from the secrets. Like you mentioned earlier um, that we are all flawed We all have imperfections. We all have regrets and things that we would change, but we also all have a creator that created us to be in his image and a creator and a Lord and a father that is loving us Mm. through it all um, and never leaves us. And even if everybody else does, he is there. And literally, it doesn't matter right now if you're in a bathroom, you are um, on the streets, you are in your car, you can call out to him and he's already there. Amen. And so we we thank you, John, for um, you using your story um, to just have such a platform for people and connection and change, but also giving God, God glory for that. Um, and we thank you for being our guest today. Um, just powerful stuff always happening on our community, our mission. So uh, we thank you guys for listening to this um, excellent episode, number 160 six with John, the Iron Man Cantrell. And we are so thankful uh, for him. We're thankful for our community and everybody that's in it doing the work to help people and to help our community thrive. And so if you are listening and you have enjoyed what you've heard, please help us by subscribing and rating and sharing this whenever we get it out. Um, we've got some excellent guests coming up in the next couple of weeks where we're going to continue to learn about um, ordinary people doing extraordinary things all because of our father. Thank you for listening to our community, our mission.